Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning for worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us here in church and to those who are joining us via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged through the preaching of the gospel and may God be glorified through our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. A special worship service to commemorate the ascension of our Lord and Saviour will be held here, the Lord willing, on Thursday the 26th of May, commencing at 7.30pm. You are reminded of the wedding ceremony for Sister Nikki Hall and Brother Ashley Milder, which will be held on Saturday the 28th of May at 12.30pm in the Free Reform Church of Southern River. This morning service will be led by Brother Brendan Milder, and this afternoon service will be led by Reverend Salmon from our sister church in Kelmscott. Before we begin, let us sing together hymn 34, verse 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let us worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the blessing of God. Grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let us now sing together from Psalm 138, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
Let us now listen to the ten words of the covenant, the rule of thankfulness for our lives, as we find them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and afterwards let us sing in response from Psalm 19, verse 5 and 6. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or anything or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who love me, of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as you do. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honour your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. And you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbour's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's.
Let us now pray to God and ask for a blessing over the worship service. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is that we may come before you this morning in worship of you. The opportunity to worship you should bring joy to our hearts. We rejoice as we come to you. Yet, Lord, if we are honest with ourselves and truly reflect upon what we have just heard in your law, we are disturbed and upset, for we are sinful and you are holy. We recognise that we heard in your law difficult words, knowing how often we have offended you in thought, word and deed, and not only by obvious violations, but by failing to conform to its perfect commands, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And this grieves us, Lord, for we fall far short time and time again. But then, Lord, we are also called to bring all this before you. Our Father, although you are a holy God, who cannot look upon sin, we pray you, look upon Christ our Saviour and forgive us for his sake. You have promised us that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For if we do sin, we have an advocate before your throne, Jesus Christ, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Give us your pardon by your mercies, dear Lord, for you have clothed us in Christ's righteousness. We also ask that you would give us an increase of your grace of your Holy Spirit, so we may learn the wisdom of your ways and walk in your holy paths for your glory. We pray, Lord, for a blessing over this worship service. We pray, Lord, that we may indeed uh, find comfort, Lord, in your word, in the, the message of the gospel. And all these things we pray in Christ's name alone. Amen. We now open our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 25 to 40, and that can be found on page 1059 of our Book of Praise. So let's read from John, chapter 6, from the Church Bible. Let's read from John, chapter 6, starting at verse 25. We'll read through to verse 40. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let us sing together from Psalm 16, verse 1 and 5. The sermon I will read to you has been written by the Reverend J. Torrenvleet.
from the Redemption Canadian Reformed Church in Ontario, and he has chosen as his text Psalm 131, which can be found on page 614 of your Pew Bible. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. After the sermon, let us together respond by singing Psalm 131, all verses. Dear congregation of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, what does a typical Sunday morning look like in your home? What are the kind of things that occupy your mind on a Sunday morning as you are making your way to church to assemble for worship among God's people? Now, I suspect that this is a loaded question and we have all had Sunday mornings where things have not gone so well. You know, sometimes we come here and it takes everything inside of us just to muster up a smile as we get out of our car and we walk into the church building. Sometimes we can't even manage to put a smile on our faces because of the week that we've had. It's been a very difficult week. That's when we arrive here and we are exhausted and some of us are anxious. Some of us are angry about things. Maybe some of us are feeling lonely as we've come here for worship this morning. Maybe you've had a Sunday morning that some families tend to have occasionally, where it seems like when you got up in the morning, all that happened was fighting. So you fought with your kids about what they were going to wear. You fought with your kids about whether or not they were going to eat breakfast or not, or brush their teeth. You were just happy that they're wearing clothes this morning. Maybe you had an argument with your spouse on the way to church this morning. And you yelled at your spouse and you're sitting here this morning and you're reflecting on that. And you're thinking, I totally overreacted. My spouse did not deserve that. And now you're sitting here and you're not feeling so great about the way you've treated your spouse. We've all had that, haven't we? I don't need to tell you this morning that we've all come here and we come here every single week as broken and weary people. And it's because of this dynamic that I've grown to really appreciate and to really love the Psalms of Ascents. These Psalms, these 15 Psalms from 120 to 134, every year the Israelite pilgrims would sing these songs as they left their homes, wherever they lived in the land of Israel, and they made their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem to take part in the Passover or Pentecost 
or the Feast of Booze, whatever it was. And just like you and me, these pilgrims, they each carried their own unique joys and they carried their own unique sorrows. And as they approached Jerusalem for worship, they anticipated their own unique need for God's grace in their life. And that's why I like to think of the Psalms of Ascents as songs for Sunday. I know we're not going to Jerusalem. I know we're not going to go to the temple. We're doing something even better. We've gathered into the presence of the triune God here on Sunday to worship our Heavenly Father and the power of the Holy Spirit on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. The Psalms of Ascents, they are so real. They deal with reality and they give us the right perspective of faith as we come for worship every single Sunday. Not just Sunday, but every day of the week as we seek to live for the Lord. So, whether you've maybe had a Psalm 122 week, where Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You can't start the car early enough. Maybe you've had one of those weeks. Or maybe you've had one of those other weeks. A Psalm 123 week, when you say, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy, for we have had more than enough contempt. It speaks to all of life, whether you've had joys or burdens, as you come here this morning. So here's the thing. The Psalms of Ascents, they give us voice. They give us words to use to express our joys, to express our struggles as we gather here, and to express our unique need for grace. And as they do that, every single one of these Psalms they implicitly confront us with some very difficult questions about who we are and how we stand in relationship to our Creator. And Psalm 131 is no exception to these lines of questions. Throughout the psalmist's inspired words, the Holy Spirit this morning is asking every single one of you, myself included, what kind of grace do you think you need? What kind of grace do you think you need? And there's a connected follow-up to this question. Is what God gives you in Jesus Christ, is that enough for you? Now we can sharpen this up a little bit. We can put a point on it this morning. Why do you come to church every single Sunday? What do you think? God or just Christianity? What do you think is going to be offered to you here? When you come here and you've had a difficult week and you're exhausted and you've been angry and you've had a frustrating Sunday morning, what is God offering you? What do you want him to offer you? That's what Psalm 131 is asking. Now, if you're being honest with, your, with yourself and you're not much different than me, I think you would admit that the kind of grace and the kind of things that you want from God, 
usually revolve around things like food and clothing and comfort and security and jobs and health and restored relationships with people around us. That's what we want. But these aren't ultimately what we need. And the scriptures are clear. None of these things, as good as they might be, are ultimately what will satisfy our restless souls. But why is the ordering of our desires and our needs so often backwards? You know, Christ said himself, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. But so often in life we invert that and we go after all these other things that we think God is going to give us and then we'll consider seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. Why do we do that? Why are we prone to that, to use the words of Psalm 138? Well, that is a big question. And it may vary from person to person, but speaking generally, I think it's related to a couple of things. It's because we underestimate our sinfulness or we overestimate our righteousness in our own personal righteous relationship to God and we underestimate how holy God is and how awesome God is and how he cannot stand the presence of sin. And so we come here and we don't think that's such a big deal and we come here looking for other things maybe. Well, this can manifest itself in some very terrible ways when that is the posture of our heart. Arguably, one of the most unsettling accounts that that describes is a parable from the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 18. He tells the story of two worshippers who have gathered in the temple and they're both there to worship. And he says in Luke 18, there's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector. And the Pharisee, Jesus says, he stands by himself. He doesn't even stand with the rest of God's people. He stands way over in a corner and he prays this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, Jesus says, stood at a distance for a very different reason. He dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed and beat his chest in sorrow saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. In his self-righteousness, this Pharisee came to church on Sunday and didn't really think he needed God. He didn't need God's salvation. He felt entitled to approach the creator of the universe based on his own righteousness and his own good works and his own moral living. In fact, he probably thought as he approached God that God should have been thanking him for being such a stellar believer 
and maybe God will give him a holy pat on the back and offer him a few material blessings in exchange. And then in contrast, we read this prayer of the tax collector who reveals genuine humility. Think of the Beatitudes. Well, this is an example of someone who is poor in spirit. He recognised his total unworthiness, complete unworthiness as a sinner to come into the presence of a holy God and to address him personally. And his only hope was by pleading for an undeserved grace and undeserved mercy, which he couldn't earn. Keep that in your minds now and open your Bibles and turn to Psalm 131 verse 1. Isn't this ancient pilgrim song basically the prayer of the tax collector? So at the forefront of their minds, as these pilgrims, as these worshippers are journeying from their home to Jerusalem, is their unworthiness to be doing this, to be approaching the city of God, to be approaching Zion, the house of the Lord, where the glory of God dwells. And they're singing about their unworthiness to do it. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. So every single Sunday, as you prepare for worship, and for that matter again, every single day of the week, as you seek to serve the Lord, how do you view yourself in relation to God? Do you honestly expect, like the Pharisee, that God is figuratively going to give you a holy pat on the back because you've been doing your devotions and you've been regularly contributing financially and you don't curse and swear regularly? You're a good husband, you're a good wife, you're a good father, you're a good mother. Do you really think there's an exchange that's going to happen as you gather for worship that God is going to bless you in return. There's a word for that. That's called the prosperity gospel. Or do you come here and you think of yourself like the tax collector? I know Sunday mornings are busy, but if you have a moment to think about this and to prepare your heart for worship, you think to yourself, I can hardly believe that I get to go. I am privileged to. I am blessed to be able to gather for worship among the people of God. I struggled this past week. I struggled this morning again. I sinned. I fell on my face. I hurt the people around me. I dishonoured you, Lord, and by rights, I know I do not deserve to be called a child of God. By rights, I know that I do not deserve to receive the grace of the Lord, to receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for saving a wretched sinner like me. I need your grace every hour. I need your spirit. I need you to revive my exhausted soul. Is that the posture of your heart as you gather for worship every single Sunday? Or is it drudgery for you to be here? Now here's the thing, when you recognise your utter dependence on God's grace and on his mercy, 
it also transforms the way that you relate to people around you, especially the people who are worshipping next to you every single Sunday. The ESV doesn't quite capture this dynamic in verse 1, but the NIV translates these opening lines like this, O Lord, my heart is not proud, so it's not lifted up too high. My eyes are not haughty. What does that mean? Well, haughty eyes refers to someone who walks around filled with self-righteous pride like the Pharisee. They look down on everyone else. They look down on other sinners. They despise them. They're ungracious. They're disdainful. They think they're better than everyone else. But the believer who sings Psalm 131 from the heart, who beats their chest in sorrow over their own unworthiness and the sins that they struggle against every day, they will never look down on other people, whatever they're going through. John Bradford, the 16th century English preacher would walk past the gallows in London and would see there men condemned to die. And he would say to himself, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Recognising God's saving grace helps us to love God for who he is. It helps us to relate to others in a loving, kind and gracious way, the broken people in our lives, but it also impacts our daily lives. St. Augustine once famously wrote, You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And in writing along similar lines, Corrie Ten Boom writes about her experiences during the Second World War. She said, You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. So when our hearts are resting in God, or when our hearts are resting in Jesus Christ, our circumstances, they don't dictate our joy, they don't dictate our rest. We don't easily become anxious because we trust in our Father in Heaven, in His mysterious and sovereign ways and in His wisdom, which is infinitely beyond our own. He has our best things in mind. Romans 8 talks about how he works all things together for the salvation of those who love him. And that's the point of the next line in Psalm 131. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me. I'm content as a believer, as a child of God. Even as the world is burning up around me, I'm content to dwell in the embrace of my Heavenly Father. And that's enough. So I'm not going to ask God to give me wealth. I'm not going to ask for greatness. And I'm not going to ask for prestige in this world. I need a saviour. This is Psalm 131. This is a beautiful musical confession of faith, isn't it? Just imagine these pilgrims every year singing this song as they journeyed from their homes 
to worship. But this confession, as we've kind of looked at it, is made even more tender by the imagery of verse 2. Picking up from verse 1, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me, but, or instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In the ancient Middle East, weaning was a significant milestone in a child's life. It was cause for celebration in Genesis 21 verse 8, where Abraham and Sarah throw this huge party to celebrate the weaning of Isaac. See, weaning, it indicated that a person had moved from the vulnerable and fragile state in their life of infancy to adulthood, or they were on their way to adulthood. This child was now strong enough to eat solid food. This child was probably strong enough to be able to drink water from the river or a well and not be worried about all sorts of diseases. This was a big deal in a period of history when many children did not survive past infancy. But the weaning process was very difficult. The weaning process wasn't like today of a year or maybe two years. Sometimes children were five or six years old when they were weaned in the Middle East. Now imagine trying to wean a child that is five years old, kindergarten or grade one, and you don't have the modern aids of baby formula, you don't have bottles, you don't have fridges, you don't have a microwave in the middle of the night. When the baby wakes up, you don't have any of that. You have none of these things. You're trying to wean a child in this context it was frustrating for the mother, for the fussy and hungry child accustomed to going to his mother to nurse, to find sustenance at his mother's breast, as he's denied food from the only source that he's ever known for five years. And so this frustration would turn to anger, this frustration would turn to crying. Charles Spurgeon comments on the Psalms and he writes this, Weaning was one of the first troubles we ever met with after we came into this world. It was at the time a very terrible one to our little hearts. Weaning was not an easy thing. But here's what's important to know if you're looking at Psalm 131 verse 2. The picture of this psalm isn't of a child in the weaning process but of a child who has completed the weaning process. It's a weaned child. The child no longer looked to its mother for what she was giving him or her in the past. Instead, this child is perfectly content to snuggle into the arms of safety of its mother's arms, to enjoy her maternal love and to enjoy her maternal care, to be in her presence and to hear her breathing and to hear her heart beating. The child is quiet and wants nothing from its mother but her. Psalm 131 says that this is a picture of a, mature, of a mature believer who understands the gospel. This is a picture of a mature believer who understands 
what it actually is that God has given in Jesus Christ. You see, we don't come to church. We should not be coming to church every single Sunday. We should not be serving God throughout the week or throughout our lives so that we get something in return. That's not how Christianity works. Spiritually mature believers understand that God has already given us something that cannot really be compared to anything else. He has given himself. And so our heart's desire as a mature believer, as we journey through this life to the new Jerusalem, should always be just to enjoy the intimacy and the safety and the love of the embrace of our God. Now, of course, it's not always easy to remember that, is it? Sometimes, as we go through life, we encounter difficulties. We behave more like a child that is still in the weaning process. We get frustrated with God. We get angry with God because the things that we're accustomed to getting from him, we're no longer getting. And we cry. We stay up at night. And we wonder about things. How can we mature beyond this as believers? Well, the answer is very simple and it is profound. Here's the answer. We can mature into, in believers into this stage of being a weaned child only by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And he does this as we meditate on his word. As we savour God for who he is, God, our Heavenly Father. It is by regularly listening to his word as we gather for worship. It's by regularly reading his word and learning about him and his character and his love for us in Jesus Christ and how that will never be removed. It's by praying to him for strength. It's by asking to be given the ability to trust him even after we fought with our family on Sunday morning. And here's the best part. As we do this, God promises in his word that he will help us. He will answer these kinds of prayers. He will make it reality. He says he gives us his Holy Spirit. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, our souls are just like a mother quieting her child on her lap. Our souls are hushed. Our souls are quieted in our Saviour's love. Through the Gospel, the Spirit reminds us and he assures us of God's tender love and intimate care. Another, another theologian, F.B. Meyer, comments on these verses... He says, at first we passionately resist the outcry and the strife. And maybe we could call this in our life of Christianity our self-denial. It could be we are picking up our own cross following Jesus. It could be seeking our lives outside of ourselves instead of wealth and power and fame and prestige. All these things, we cry out against that. But then Maya continues... But the comforter comes and hushes us on the very lap of God. 
Now I want to close this morning with a quote that I recently read from a little book by John Piper. It's called, God is the Gospel. He asks this question, Would you be happy in heaven if God were not there? Piper asks, Would you be happy if God were not in heaven? He says all the saving events and all the saving blessings of the gospel are means of getting obstacles out of the way so that we might know and enjoy God fully. And then he gives a list. Propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputation, sanctification, liberation, healing, heaven. None of these is good news except for one reason. They bring us to God. They bring us to God for everlasting enjoyment of him. If we believe all these things, he says, if we believe that they've happened to us, but we do not embrace them for the sake of getting to know God, they have not happened to us. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savouring God and people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven it's a way to get people to God it's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God that's what we celebrate at Christmas we celebrate Emmanuel God with us. This is where all of world history is going. Revelations 21, God will dwell among his people and then there will be no more tears or crying or pain or sorrow. God will be the light in the new Jerusalem. So coming back to our first question, as we've assembled for worship this morning, What kind of grace do you think you need? Is what God gives you in Jesus Christ enough? Psalm 131 verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.
congregation, let us once again call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we pray to you, our hope and our salvation. Lord, as the worries of this world close in around us, as the shadows in the gloom threaten to overtake us, we call upon you. For in you, hope and salvation can be found, in you and you alone. We look to you seeking comfort, seeking your grace. We thank you for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we doubted you, while we stumbled and fell, you never left our side. You were always there. Christ's death on the cross paid the complete price for all our sins. Father, we come before you also to pray for our congregation, Lord, for the joys and sorrows, Lord, that we encountered over this past week. Father, yesterday, brother and sister, Class and Sandra Van Dyke, could celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary. Also, brother and sister Wagner look forward to celebrating their 59th wedding anniversary tomorrow. Lord, what a wonderful gift that you have given them. Lord, it testifies to your faithfulness to us, your people, we, Christ's bride. We also come before you today to ask you, Lord, to be with the senior members of our congregation. Lord, as time moves on, our bodies become frail with age, and this can be confronting. We ask, Lord, that you grant them strength. This past week, our brother De Hope has moved to Fairhaven for a few weeks of respite care. We pray, Lord, strengthen our brother. Bless the care that he receives. We thank you, Lord, for the work of Fairhaven. Lord, it is not an easy task in the midst of the coronavirus to provide care and love to those who need it. But you, Lord, grant strength where it is needed. Lord, this past week, our pastor, Reverend Poppy, himself contracted the coronavirus. And Lord, there are many others among us who have also been affected by this virus. We pray, Lord, for healing and recovery. And Lord, recovery, not just by those who are sick, but recovery for everyone, for our church community, for our society. Help us to remember that you are Lord, that you rule, that nothing happens by chance, but by the will of your heavenly hand. And therefore, we must also place our trust in you, look to you, and let you lead us onward. To that end, Lord, we pray that you be with our government. Yesterday, Australia voted, and we now have a new government to lead us. Lord, again we pray, lead us by them. We know that this too is part of your plan. Therefore, we pray that you will impart wisdom, strength and integrity to the government. May they so rule and govern us that all things are pleasing in your eyes. May they fear you and understand that you are God and none other. Help us to respect them and the task that you have appointed them for, recognising that it was you who has given them this position. Lord, as we go from here this morning, we pray, Lord, grant us a blessed Sunday. Bless the worship service this afternoon, where we can look forward again to meeting with you. 
Grant Reverend Solomon strength as he takes up this task. Lord, all these things we pray for the sake of Christ your Son, who died on the cross for all our sins. Amen. This morning, the collections will be held for the mission work in PNG. Uh, collections will be taken at the door. Um, so now let's uh, sing from our closing song from hymn 78, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5.
Lift up your hearts unto God. Receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.